0: Welcome back to episode number 132 of The NP Dude. This is Jeff, The NP Dude. Self-proclaimed title. I like it. Hey, um, thanks for listening, guys. We've been uh, really busy with the uh, new Clinical NPs for Change Facebook page. So if you're a Clinical NP and you're slightly concerned about the future, go ahead and go on over to Clinical NPs for Change. Um, on Facebook, click join, we will vet you to make sure you're uh, on the up and up, so to speak, and that uh, you're not uh, just a troll, and that's one of the questions, are you a troll, I think it's funny and it's true, because I get people to buy in that way, if they're being a troll, they're not going to answer yes, they'll they'll, they'll answer yes, and I'll find out real quick and I'll boot them say, look, I told you not to be a troll, alright, so um, we're at over 2,500 likes on Facebook for my page, The NP dude and uh, it's still going strong, so guys, keep sharing the word, spreading the word, telling your friends, telling classmates what's going on about this wacky guy driving in the rain in 35 degree weather, waiting for it to get colder and snow in almost April, yeah, that's what happens in Northeast Ohio, kind of what we're used to, I guess, right, we always get blasted one more time right before spring, Easter's usually nice though, Easter's coming up this weekend, anyways, I digress tired, if you guys are interested in supporting the show in any other way, you can, there's a bunch of ways, you can uh, give ratings on iTunes and Facebook, you can also uh, support the show by using the Amazon affiliate link, it's been a little flat, my wife seems to be doing most of the purchasing lately, so go to thenpdude.com, I want you to uh, click on the banner that says Amazon, it takes you to Amazon, you do the purchasing you otherwise would have, buy that something real nice you know, whatever it is, I don't care, it could be toilet paper, that's real nice, it could be light bulbs, I don't care, whatever you buy, I get a small percentage, I can't tell who buys what, so if you buy something, you think, oh, Jeff's going to be embarrassed, you know, I'm going to be embarrassed by this, so I can't purchase it, I don't care, buy that 600 pack of condoms, I don't care, I won't judge, I can't tell who it is anyways, so buy whatever you want, um, Other way you can support the show that uh, is financial, you can use the donate button. If you're feeling spunky, it uses uh, PayPal, so have your PayPal account set up and ready to go. If you think this show's worth a dollar or two, or 20, or 50, or 100, then go ahead and throw a couple bucks at me. I'm not going to lie, I'll take it. The uh, other way you can use me is, uh, or or support me personally, is to... uh, Hire me to review your contracts for you. I am a licensed attorney in the state of Ohio. I can only do Ohio. I still get people that ask me, oh, "I'm in Indiana. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, you know, Louisiana. Can you help me out?" I'm like, "I'd love to. You can listen to my show. I'm helping you that way. But I can't do it and make money off it directly. That's that's practicing law without a license in another state. I'm not licensed in any other state. Can't do it. All right. I had two questions that kind of tied in together, and it was just kind of ironic that they kind of went hand in hand. And so I'm, I'm going to answer them both, but I'm going to kind of do it in one one swoop. So I'm going to do the questions, and then I'll roll in. Ooh, what is that running across the street? Nope, oh, kitty cat. thought it was a fox. Kitty cat. The, um, the first one came in from somebody that said... Um, I'm an NP student, and, you know, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, and I'm an FNP, but I'm thinking about doing a specialty. What are your thoughts on going straight into a specialty as a nurse practitioner? And I'll I'll give you my thoughts, and to be honest with you, my thoughts aren't all that important. It's what you want, so I'll give you my thoughts, but it's really what you want matters. The second question was... um, when you go to work and you have patients that are continually degrading and saying, um, you know what, I don't want to be seen by the NP, I want to be seen by the physician, or I want to be seen um, by the specialist, or I don't want to be, you know, I'm, I'm always stuck with you and I never get to see, you know, the A people, I get the B team, you know, and that's, that's kind of demeaning and demoralizing. And what are my thoughts on that? So the first one, and they do tie together, and I'm going to explain why in a second. The first one is, do I think that you should go into a specialty right out of school? If you want to, yes, go into a specialty. Do I think that it matters that your FNP training um, may or may not have provided you the skills necessary for that? They may not have. So the problem is, is that you need to be able to, to, um, to be on par with the PA students that maybe have had more exposure in whatever said specialty it is that you want to go into. So if you want to go into dermatology and you really love dermatology and you're an FNP, you need to really be practicing your derm when you're in school if that's what you think you want to do. Learning extra things, going to workshops, maybe going to some CMEs before you graduate, um, maybe doing them right after you graduate before you take the first job, asking for special procedures, training, more suturing because you're going to be lopping things off of people, how to use cautery, all that stuff, right? So I would take it upon myself if I was going into a specialty that I would be learning all I could before I got there in the hopes that I would get to where I wanted to be. And the worst case scenario is you learned a bunch of cool stuff that you could use in family practice anyways, okay? So, because Durham is one place that is, I mean, we cover a lot of rashes. We look at a lot of pictures. We talk about a lot of treatments and stuff like that. But in reality, until you see it and do it a bunch of times, Durham is one of those things that it's just like... You kind of have to see it in real life a couple times before you're like, oh yeah, that's what that is. That's my take on, on that specialty. So it really depends on you. Okay, If I was just coasting through FNP school and I was like, oh, I'm just going to be an RN plus and I'm going to get out the other side of this and have a degree and oh, go work Durham because it's easy and you're not really motivated to do it, you're going to have a hard go because you just are going to be thrown in and expected to produce and make money and you're really not going to be functional if you don't take it seriously it's just that much more learning you have to do on your own is really what it comes down to so I'm, I'm okay with it and I know I, I, I see people say this philosophy well I want to work in primary care for a couple of years because I don't want to lose my primary care skills here's the trick about primary care skills they ain't that hard I mean you could you learn it once you'll relearn it again you got the degree, you've got the education, you've got the training. It's not like you're not going to be. Here's the thing for me, working with patients and being able to be proficient in, in talking to them, getting what information you need and moving on to the next one is the most important aspect of primary care. Don't get me wrong. You need to be able to assess, diagnose, treat, all that stuff. Has You have to do that. That's the standard of care anyways. But the hard thing to learn as a new NP is how to do it with time effectively. And that's one of the things that the Clinical NPs for Change is about is that we're not taught that way in school. It's, it just isn't. And, and I'm gonna get criticized for saying that, you know, we, we need to be more like the medical model because we are healthcare and that we do have the nursing model. And I agree, we do both, but we don't do the other one very well as far as time effective business relationships, how to get things done, in the office environment, we don't. We just don't do that. It's too focused on nursing theory and research and and EPR and practice role and all that stuff, which are which are important. Don't get me wrong, but they're not nearly as important as okay. What do I need to know to, to function in my job so that I fit into the current model? And until we take over the world and it's an, it's a nursing model one hundred percent, which it's never going to be. It just can't be. It's got to be both. It does so. It's that, that trichotomy, if you will, of of, uh, of John's that he uses, of John Canyons, right? That art and science and, you know, the business and all that stuff. So we have to have all three legs of that stool. And so it is important that we keep that. All right. So why this ties into the, the next question is that the next question says... When I want or when, when somebody comes in and says, "You know what, I don't want to see you, I want to see the doctor. I want to see the, the real guy, not the lackey, right? That's the attitude that you get from people. There's a couple problems I see with this. One is that if that's the thing that's going on by the patients, then it, then it's pervasive in the practice. So it has to be sold from the main provider. That you are just as good or very effective to be able to do the things that need to be done that those patients need to be seen for. So you need to have backing from the provider that is the physician in that practice. And if they're not, if they're saying, "Oh well, they're just an NP," or they oh, they just do my H and P's, or you know, they're not, their training's horrible, or you know, whatever. If they're being derogatory to you in front of the patients, guess what? The patients are going to want. They're not going to want to see you. <laughs> Excuse me. So that might be an institutional problem that needs to be corrected. And if that's happening, it needs to be you either leave or you try to make the changes that, that, can, that, that can be effective to change the practice. Now can you do that? I don't know. and I've had that happen in my, my previous engineering practices where I look at a practice and like I start talking to the owner and say, look, we got to do this, this and this to make this work. And if we can't come up a way, with a way to make that happen, then this isn't going to work. This isn't going to be functional. And if that, if my ability to, or my inability to affect a positive change for the environment, it's time for me to leave. And I've said that to people, look, I'm giving you an answer to your, to your problems and and a possible solution to correct it. And you are not willing to take it. So I am unable to effectively make a positive change in my environment. And I'm going to have to resign. Because I'm giving you a solution to your problem, and you're not taking it. All right? So that's that's one thing. Now, if you are that bad, and they, they need to see the provider, all the, the, the physician all the time, because you are that bad, then you got to look and say, well, maybe I'm not that good at my job. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm not saying that you, this individual person is. I'm not saying that's who they are. But sometimes we have to be introspective and ask ourselves, am I really meant to do this? am I on RN plus, and, and I'm, I'm being put in a position of a provider, and I really didn't expect to do that, which is false, by the way, you shouldn't have that mentality, but it happens, that's another reason for the, the CNPC, the Clinical Nurse Practitioners for Change group, CNPC group, is that uh, there's a mis, mis um, Communication often between what the the, and the uh, RNs that are entering these programs that are relatively not fly by night, but and, and not even shady, but just not doing a good job. They're not explaining what the real role of you when you graduate. The expectations are not being set, so you think you're just an RN and you make a little bit more money. And you don't have to wipe asses anymore. That's wrong that's the wrong mentality, we are providers we have a license that we can lose we can provide medicines, in a lot of states we provide almost every medicine that the physicians can do I can prescribe almost every medicine in fact I can prescribe every medicine that a family practice physician prescribes period in Ohio there's not one that I'm not permitted to do, medical marijuana maybe, but technically none of us are supposed to by federal law so I won't do that one, anyways. So the feds changed changed the the drug classification. I I wouldn't do it, anyways. Even though I think that treatment is is not bad. Some people, I'm like, yeah, dude, you might benefit from that. Even some of my pain management people, I'd be like, yeah, I think you should go to that instead. Get off the perks, man. Go smoke some dope. Make you feel better. I don't know. It's, it, it, there's, there's options out there that I agree with. But the but the the point being here is that that if you can't affect a positive change in that environment, get out. And if you're the problem, get out. <laughs> Just Tough love, right? I don't know. That, that's, that's a hard one. But the, the reason I tie those two questions together is that it almost often will come into play in a specialty type setting. If it's in a primary care practice and that's still happening, that's a fundamental flaw with that practice. Your patients are not being educated well by the, by the physician, and they're not getting your back. And if that was the case, I would feel undermined and unappreciated, and it, I would turn bitter very quickly, and I wouldn't stay. I'd stay there as long as I had to, and I'd be out. I'd have another job lined up. I'd do it professionally, but I would, I would, I would make it well known that that is not a place that is appreciative of nurse practitioners. In my current practice, we're all NPs. My collaborative isn't even in my office. He's available if I need him, but I've never needed him. I go to my the director and I go to the other NPs in my office and ask them, hey, what's going on here? What do you think? It's not that we're flying solo, it's that we're using the resources that are available to us. And, and the, the thing is is that my patients don't ask for a physician. I've never had one ask for a physician and I'm, they're all very well aware that I am a nurse practitioner because I remind them continually, because they'll say, okay, doc, not a doc, I'm an NP, no, whatever, you're my doctor, okay, well, I'm not your doctor, I'm your NP, so, and okay, let's agree to disagree, well, you can say that, but that's not true, <laughs> you know, arguments with patients about whether I'm an NP or a doctor, It don't. I don't, I'm not going to fight them on it, but I'm not going to, I don't sell myself as that, I never wanted to, I don't, that's not my intent, I never, ever, ever told anybody, I'm a physician, I wouldn't do that, but in my practice, it's not a big deal, everybody just comes to me, they need the help, they got the issues, they got the problems, and there's a lack of services in the area, so it makes it easy, so I don't really have that, that problem where they say, I want to see the physician, because there isn't one in my office. I say, well, if you want to see him, I got to set you up. You got to drive about, you know, 70 miles to go see him. I we can make probably make that happen. Um, by law, I have to be able to make that happen, and yes, I can. But it's not really functional. If you want to see him? Sure. We'll get you an appointment over there. It doesn't seem to work well. It's a flaw in the system. It is what it is. So um, those kind of go hand in hand because I think that the majority of the time that that's going to happen is in a specialty. And if it's in a family practice, then you're kind of, you're, you're, you're being railroaded by your practice. Whether it's the MA that's saying, oh, well, he's not as good as the physician, or it's the physician saying, well, <laughs> my NP is, you know, they're, they're a little simple. They don't quite get it, you know, whatever. All right. Now, the other one I want to talk about, this one's more me because it kind of came up um, not so much in um, NP world, it came up actually in a personal issue that I'm helping somebody out with uh, for a, a legal issue and and uh, I want to kind of go through it because it could apply to NPs or to anybody really and so this is one that you could share with a friend in general but this, this is... Uh, this is one where, if you are, well, here's the hypothetical. You have a contract for a period of time to work in an in an office, just a typical old fashioned contract employee situation. And um, let's say you signed the contract first and sent it back to the um, to the organization. The CEO was supposed to sign it, but oh boy, I'm sliding. Oh boy. There we go a little hydroplane that was a little makes your stomach quiver Woo. okay slowing it down all right so you've got this ceo didn't sign your contract but you assumed that he did and you never followed up and you never got a signed version of it you got your copy that you signed and you just assumed they signed it it's on file in the office and you you started working and you started doing your job and no big deal kept going and everything was fine right Let's just assume that they never signed your contract. So your contract that was never finalized. And then they start doing stuff that is contrary to your contract that you have in your possession that is not enforceable. So you didn't have an actual contract. Your signed document that you sent back to the CEO is an offer, is what that was. The first person to sign is the first is the offering. The offerer. Offeror? It's O R. And the other one's the offeree, right? So if the offeree doesn't sign, it's not effective. And they start doing stuff, wonky stuff, like, uh, you know, jacking up your pay scale, you know, getting rid of the, the, the uh, incentive pay structure, category, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And they know they don't have an agreement, but you think you do. And you go into them and you say, you know what, I'm going to sue under this contract and you go and they say, yeah, you know what, you're you're fired. And they don't give you notice. And they don't do anything. And, you know, it's for, not for cause. They just get rid of you, whatever. So it's a whole bunch of bad when you chalk it up against the the offer that you sent back. You signed and sent back to them, which was the contract signed by you. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And finally, you're like, you know, screw this. I'm going to sue them. And you sue them for... Breach of, you know, the provisions of the contract, not breach of contract, because there's no claim for that. It's breach of the payment term of the contract, or breach of the lack of notice, termination notice period section of the contract, or whatever it is. And you got a bunch of these, because they were real shitheads to you. And you go to court and the first thing they do in the discovery phase, you know, is, is they, you know, pull in all the documents and their answer would come back and say, we didn't breach a contract. There was no contract. We never signed it. And we can't prove that we did. Here's the offer and we didn't produce a document. You don't have a copy to show anybody because you didn't make a copy of it. You didn't ask for it back. That's your fault, right? So this document doesn't, signed a contract doesn't exist. Well, your attorney, if he's worth a salt, is going to do another claim in your in the suit called ex, equitable estoppel. Okay, and it's and it's a um, I think it's equitable estoppel. Somebody, some lawyer out there is going to tell me I'm wrong, but it's an equitable. It's quasi contract. It's not equitable estoppel. It's quasi contract. I've talked a little bit about it in the past, but this comes up every now and then. It's a fallback argument. If your breach of contract argument doesn't work, breach of a provision of the contract. See, I do it myself. I make the error myself. So it's a, it's a fallback. So if your contract is invalid or unenforceable or the, the the provision in the contract is deemed to be unenforceable and you're going to lose the claim, then you, you come back and use the quasi-contract argument. And in this instance, sorry, tight turn wet roads there we go in this instance the quasi contract would be something like this here's the analysis in general and I might be missing a step but you'll get the concept of it the plaintiff expected to be um, to get the benefit of a promise from the defendant reasonably expected. To get a benefit, okay, from the defendant. So, in other words, I reasonably expected to be paid the full salary that you told me I would get paid. Or I reasonably expected that you would have followed the provision in this document that I gave to you, and it was a condition of employment. Um, so you wouldn't have terminated me, you know, in 20 days instead of you know it says 60 days in the contract. You would give me more notice, and you're not paying me for it. Um, I reasonably would have expected you to. Um, it fully oblige me with my incentive pay, because I'm rocking and rolling, making you a ton of money, and yet now you're saying you're not going to do it, okay, I reasonably expected all these benefits, okay, and on the other side of that, the second prong of that is, I conferred a benefit to you, I gave you something, I gave you my work, I gave you my effort and time, I gave you my, my uh, CPT codes that are getting billed under my NPI number, okay, I gave you that as effort, and you didn't reasonably give me the thing I was expecting to get, right? It's a weak argument, and it goes back to English common law, back in the king's court and the queen's court and all that good stuff, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, and I just think it's interesting history, so I'll talk about it again. The king's court was the hard, fast rules, like contract and property rules and things like that, criminal disputes. Those were the king's court. Well, the queen's court court was more soft. It was the fairness court, the equity. That's why I was going with equity, but estoppel. Equity, equitable estoppel is like um, the court's going to make you stop something just because it's fair. And there's a whole legal standard for that, but that's the basic gist of it. In this case you might have a good argument. If you had other documents that, you know, you if if there was an email that they sent back to you said, "No, we didn't accept your offer and we're going to change the terms," then yeah, and they produce that, then you're you're kind of screwed because you should not have reasonably expected to can get those benefits. It's a it's a you're, it's a pennies on the dollar type of argument. You're never going to be made completely whole like you would if it was truly a breach of a contract provision, but it is at least something. And if if the more egregious the um, acts of the defendant, the more the higher those pennies go up. So you may get ninety cents on the dollar instead of, you know, yeah, yeah, you you really didn't expect that. It was. You know, you signed your agreement, it was six months before you actually started, you weren't even started, and then, so that kind of fell apart, and you know, the date was so far before you actually started the actual contract term in your mind, then, you know, that, was, that offer kind of dissipated, and it really wasn't expected that all those things in that previous document were going to survive. Or if you have a letter that says, here's your benefits, and it doesn't include the incentive pay or here's your salary, and it might be adjusted, and it's in an offer letter from them after you signed the contract. Well, and they never signed it. So, I mean, you have to look at all the facts and circumstances, but it's one that could really come into play very easily, and then it's something you should know that it's out there that you could always have this equity type argument, but it might not be the best argument and it just came up in an individual situation. I'm not going to get into specific facts, but it was a purchase. And the purchase is, uh, you know, you you do an online purchase and you get a receipt that has all these just small print things that nobody reads. Well, one of them was that there's no returns, no refunds, no everything, no matter what we get the money and then the product isn't shipped. And so you don't get, you don't get the good. It's a little bit different with goods than it is with services because under the goods, you fall under what's called the Uniform Commercial Code and um, it's an extremely technical document. Article 2 or Section 2 of that is we spent a year doing um, UCC stuff. It's really, really technical. Um, One of the hardest areas of law that are out there, in my opinion, is following the UCC rules. Really, really hard stuff. And it was fun because when I was... Doing my engineering stuff, and I was negotiating contracts with these, you know, 30, 40 forty-year veteran lawyers. And here I am, a relatively new grad, you know, lawyer. And I'm in a room, and these guys all have really gray hair and long beards. And I'm, you know, you know, I've, got, I've always had gray hair, but you know, I got short hair, gray hair, no beard, you know, younger looking. And I'm sitting here telling them, well, no, you got the mirror image rule of the, you know, article. 2-206, whatever it was, and, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, yeah, that was a newer rule, you know, a couple of years ago, they changed it, and it's the mirror image, and blah, 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 and this, that, and we, we needed to negotiate that a little tighter, and I wasn't even in the room to help those lawyers, I was, they were my on my side, they were on my team um, for a different company we were partnered with, but they were like, oh my God, they were like offering me a job, <laughs> I was getting my hands on it, I probably took it, Made a ton more money. But um, it was fun because I get to impress some people and use some of that stuff that you learn every now and then. Anyways, guys, the um, questions are kind of drying up because I've been spending so much time with this clinical group. But I do want to hear from you guys. I do want to know what's bugging you. I want you guys to email me, jeff at thenpdude.com. Tell me what your woes are. And I'll do my best to help you out. And I'll give you my opinion and uh, from a medical legal perspective. And uh, we'll go from there, guys. If you're working... Be smart, be safe. If you're driving on wet roads in Ohio, be, be careful, slow down. Take my own advice, like I just did. But um, get with me, guys. I want to hear from you. Be smart, be safe, do good work, promote our profession. Don't bring us down. Don't bring each other down. Boost each other up. We'll talk soon.